Over these past few weeks, we've been looking at the names of Jesus, the nature of Jesus. Two weeks ago, we looked at uh, passages in Hebrews uh, 3, uh, looking to seeing uh, Jesus as supreme, that he takes first place over all. And then last week, we're in Hebrews 5, reminding our, ourselves again that he is the obedient Christ. Yes, he's high priest that sympathizes with us. Bible scholar Raymond Brown would say that he wore our frail flesh. He knows what we struggle with. He was obedient even to the point of going to a cross for us. And each week, we're looking at not only who Jesus is, but then saying, what about us? If, he, if we are honoring the supremacy of Christ, which the book of Hebrews does throughout its pages, where are those places where I've not given full priority to Christ and his kingdom? If we've seen the obedience of Christ, the spotless nature of Christ, the righteous Christ, looking at our lives, where are those, where are those places where I'm pushing back on the will of God? How do I need to respond to his life, that his life might be my life. And so this morning we're continuing that, looking at maybe one name that might be a surprise to you. Um, I got a surprising answer this past Wednesday at Pastor's Bible Study. We, we had talked about uh, and went through our annual conferences Bible study for churches in uh, a discernment process. And I'd encourage you to go back to that. I think it was a helpful study that they uh, gave us. It's so critical that we be loving, and as the Hebrews says, to be encouraging to one another in and through uh, this season. Uh, Dr. Andy Miller will actually be teaching this week. I'll be with our students, so uh, please come this Wednesday, uh, 610 is when we start. But anyway, last week at Pastor's Bible Study, I'm standing right here, and I asked the question, for those of us who are married, why did you get married? And immediately somebody blurted out sitting right here, I've been asking myself that question for the last... <laughs> 40 plus years. I checked on him Thursday. He's still alive. <laughs> He's grounded, <laughs> but alive. So what's the picture here? What's the picture we see in the book of Hebrews of Jesus? And, and let's, as we've been doing these weeks, and I didn't intend for this to be a Hebrews study, but here we are in our third week in Hebrews again. Let's remember where we are first. Those first couple of chapters, that section really is about the disobedience of the people of God. It's sharing over and over again about the ways that uh, uh, they had missed the Lord. But then we get this long section all the way up until chapter, the middle of chapter 10, where we're reminded that Christ is our high priest. And then we get a, one of a couple of therefores at 1019. Looking back to all that's been said about Christ as our high priest, what all that means, and then in 1019 you get a therefore. Because of all I've said about him, draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. You keep reading down, hold fast, keep meeting together, encourage one another, and the chapter closes this way, because we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. And now we're in this section from 1019 to, to really 1229 where it's, it's this picture of the history of the faithful people of God. It started with that, therefore, and now you remember chapter 11 well. It's this recounting of all the heroes of the faith, 
all those who were faithful, Abel, right, Enoch, Noah, and on, until you get to chapter 12, and remembering again this key theme of the supremacy of Christ, it's Christ who has the faith. He's the author in our text, the author and perfecter of our faith, but talking about the faithful uh, people who follow uh, Jesus. So, I want us to look at this just for a second because this therefore matters. Chapter 10, when you see a therefore, there's something coming after that. It looks back to everything before because of this, therefore, and then chapter 10, hold on, encourage one another. There's usually an imperative to action after the therefore. There's something more coming. I've shared with this with you before, but I, I'm just an introvert by nature, and so my wife will ask me how my day is, and, and I have the stereotypical answer of, of most men. I say, I'm fine. And for me, that's like seven to eight paragraphs. I've pushed myself to try to be emotionally connecting with my wife, and, and I know I've got I've to share more than that. But, but, but if I were to ask my wife how she's doing, and she were to say, oh, I'm fine. I know there's more coming after that. It may, and this is typical, because it may not be then, and not maybe days later, but at some point, there's gonna, when I hear that, the alarms go off. What did I not pick up? What did I say? Did I forget to pick up one of the ch children? We haven't picked up children in 10 years, but I'm, that goes in my head. The, the alarms go off. There's something more that's coming. You see this, therefore, by the way, I'll ask Sarah today, was that okay I said that? And she's, she'll say, it's fine, <laughs> and I'll know there's more. That's right. But this is what Paul does in so many of his epistles to the church, because of the grace of Christ, because of this great truth of Christ, therefore, here's, here's, the, here's the response. And you see it in 10, because he's our high priest, don't lose heart. Hold on. We're going to talk more about that as we close. But you see it here in chapter 12. Because of these great examples of the faith who, who struggle just like we struggle because of Christ, who's the author and pioneer of our faith, here's the therefore. That's what we find ourselves in. This section in chapter 12 is after another therefore. Here's the something more, all right? So when we get to the end of the sermon, that's what we're doing. We're looking at the response to what's been shared. But let's Let's look at what's been shared. What's been shared about Jesus here? It's not just here, but it's in the Old Testament scriptures. It's in the New Testament scriptures. What's the great truth of who Jesus is? If I were to ask you, give me one word for who Jesus is. As Renee did today, you would, you would say loving. You would say grace-filled, self-sacrificing, servant, teaching, you know, praying, all those wonderful words. But again, it may be a surprise to us to bump into this word, word repeatedly for Jesus, and that's joy. We talked in our first time together, and it's right if you're going to talk about the book of Hebrews, to talk about the supremacy of Christ. But I love what Dick Eastman in his book, Awesome, The Names and Nature of Jesus, what he says is, a study of the supremacy of Christ without highlighting his joy is incomplete. It's just incomplete. Uh, one of our women's Bible study uh, studies have, has started a, a, a workbook on the Trinity. I mean, it's really heady theological stuff. But what's the title of the book? Discover joy. 
He's where the joy is. I love that for this. How do you understand the triune Godhead? But I love this picture that, that there, that's already on the title page. He is where the joy is. And in the introductory chapter of that book, it says, does it surprise you to know that God is infinitely joyful? I heard Bill Urey, who's been with us to preach a few times, talk about a modern, it's a movie about Jesus set in modern times. I've never seen it, but he describes one of the opening scenes to the film, and it's Jesus playing soccer, okay? So it's modern day, Jesus playing soccer, and apparently he's trying to score, and so somebody just takes him out with a hard slide tackle. Jesus screams, Jesus is holding his leg, writhing in pain, Everybody is panicked. Here is the one we believe is Messiah, and somebody's just crushed him. They rally around him. He's screaming, and then he looks up and says, gotcha, and steals the ball and tries to go score. <laughs> Humor, joy, vibrancy to his life. Don't miss that. It's on so many of the pages of Scripture, even as something as, as horrific as we're talking about here, that he has the peace of God, confidence in God, vibrancy to his faith. And so he, this author can testify to him, even with the cruelty of the cross before him, there's a joy in his life for the joy that's set before him pleasing his father, doing his father's will, or back to, I think, chapter two, to bring many sons to glory. Oh, the joy, for that joy set before him, Christ endured the cross for us. I've shared this with you once before. I'm only going to share two sentences, a couple of sentences from it, but I love this devotional called Stubborn Joy, speaking of Jesus. No man had more reason to be miserable than this one, yet no man was more joyful he was joyful when he was poor. He was joyful when he was abandoned. He was joyful when he was betrayed. He was even joyful as he hung on a tool of torture, his hands pierced with spikes. Jesus embodied a stubborn joy, a joy that refused to bend in the wind of hard times, a joy that's held its ground against the pain. Many of us are in hard days, right? Church in a season of discernment, some of us walking with people in sickness, some of us grieving, some of us as we heard, and, and I love how Lori rightly, spirit-inspired, picked that opening hymn. And in life's ebb and flow, in the rough things of life, we can fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Christians go through it. We're going to talk here in just a minute about the discipline that believers can have. And it may not seem, as the text says, joyous at that moment. Jesus had a stubborn joy. He held on to it. You and I, no matter what we go through, we can hold on to the presence and the peace and the confidence and the joy of Christ because our example is in our Savior. He held on to it in all that he went through. He is the joyful Christ. And here's the good news. He wants that for us. There can be an ebb and flow as well of feelings. We're not talking about emotions. But he wants us to know. Scripture has said, 1 John, I write these things so you might know that you're saved. In the book of Romans, his spirit will testify to our spirit that we are his. He wants you to know that peace and confidence and joy. It's just like our Savior to want to gift that to us. His presence, no matter what we're in. King, King David, that's also in 
uh, the introductory part of the, the book on the Trinity, speaking again about uh, King David who went through it. King David who was pressed. King David who was hunted. King David who was broken over the loss of people in his life. King David who's betrayed. King David says, Psalm 1611, that in God's presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 21.6, God made him the king. You make me joyful with gladness in your presence. He desires for us to know his presence. Now here's the other reality of the book of Hebrews. We'll talk in a minute. Some people had kind of mixed their faith. Some people had walked. But also some people, it seems, under persecution or for whatever, were maybe slipping away. Slipping away maybe even quietly. What are those things? Let's name them. What are those things in our culture that have slipped away? If you're old like me or older, whatever happened to the marathon candy bar? I mean, that's like my favorite candy bar of kingdom. And all of a sudden, it's not there anymore. To the youth of today, to our students, what happened to fidget spinners? Those were like the rage. Everybody did those, and then I, I don't see them anywhere. I mean, I finally can afford a car with a CD player. Now they don't make cars with CD players. So what am I going to do with my college CD collection? Okay, there's bad. What there you go. This is not an open session, Dr. Miller. Awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. Good. Awesome. Things, things sometimes, and here's the, this is the hard truth, and maybe you've been there, maybe you're there, where we can, we can slip away. And sometimes it's quietly, and it's, it's not anything abrupt. It's not due to sin. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we just kind of slip, get out of the routine. And, and here, there's always a reminder throughout Scripture of the importance of putting ourselves with people, putting ourselves in places, putting ourselves in routines and disciplines so that doesn't happen. Because throughout this text, the author is pleading with the church, don't go. Don't shrink back. Um, maybe it's because we've not prepared to come to worship, to bring a real sacrifice of praise. Our, our schedule's so crazy, so we're missing God in worship because we barely got here and we've got something to run to as soon as we leave here. And we're not ready to meet him uh, to, to, to be blessed by, as our choir sang, his fullness. Maybe it's our quiet time. Maybe it's fellowship. You go back to Hebrews 12, uh, 10, 25, and he's saying, don't give up meeting together. It's one of our great hopes for the upcoming men's retreat is not just to have a retreat and to, to be encouraged that day, but to have some, have some groups forming where guys will, will, will be ironed to each other, sharpen each other, uh, encourage each other. We need to place ourselves with others. That's why Paul in Philippians 4.1 says, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, you are my joy. And maybe joy is slipping because we've not placed ourselves with people or in places or in routines where we can meet him. My son and my two sons and I, uh, I was blessed by Sunday school here with a Christmas gift. And so my sons and I went to Boston with that to see my son's favorite hockey team play, the Pittsburgh Penguins. And so they played in Fenway, all right? And uh, so we got to see that. And it's the night before, uh, we're walking by Fenway, the lights are on, and my son's like, hey, Somebody's out on the ice practicing. And so he gets up, starts scouring Twitter and everything. 
his team's on the ice. It's freezing cold outside. We're on our way to go get pizza. Seth's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stand out by this door and see if these guys come out. I see a few people. He stayed out there in the cold. It's one thing for cold. It's another thing to go without food for my children, right? But he sacrificed, and, it, and the whole team came out. He put himself in a position to see him. The next day when the game, we're in the cheap seats way in the back, but there are these $5,000 tickets on the front row. Seth says, give me a minute. He walks down, the preacher's kid, goes down to seats that are not his, and he's right there like on the second or third row where the Pittsburgh Penguins come out, and there he is face-to-face with, with his idol. And I say idol because I'm a New York Rangers fan, and <laughs> to, to like a penguin is idolatry. But anyway, he put himself in position to see How is it you and I, if we're missing the joy of the Lord, not emotions, but we're missing his presence, we're missing his confidence, how in our quiet time, how with other believers, how is it in our routine we need to position ourselves to receive? Now listen, the hard truth here, because it talks about discipline, some 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 of that slipping away and some of that missing of the joy of the Lord might be due to sin. We always want to look at that. Where where are those places, Lord? You're just, you play with sin. These people had mixed their faith. You play with sin, and it's no wonder that the joy of the Lord, the vibrancy you have with the Lord, is going to diminish. And so how is it, as they were compromised, Lord, is there anything in me? So that, as David would say, what? Go back to that, go back to that passage. Uh, If there's anything in me, Create a clean heart in me, O God, right? Renew a right spirit. Restore me to the joy of my salvation. That Psalm 51 is written in repentance of a great sin in his life. If we repent, the joy can come back. But I want to just spend the closing minutes just looking at this reminder too. This is the softness of the call of the author of Hebrews. Yes, repent of sin. Be under discipline, even if it isn't joyous at that time. Don't don't mix your faith, but also don't shrink back. But just this encouraging word throughout this book, run, going to our passage today, number one, run with endurance. One Bible commentator this week said that really may be the primary exhortation in Hebrews is run with endurance. Don't fall back. And how you do that, verse 2, is look to Christ, fix your eyes on Christ, so that, verse 3, you will not lose heart. And, and these, these folks are going through it. If you go to the end of chapter 10, I believe, verse 34, they're giving up possessions. They've been ministering to people and giving up possessions. They're probably already suffering persecution. And maybe they want to just shrink back because they're tired of taking it on the chin. And the author of Hebrews says, no matter what you're going through, the next verse, 1035, don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Verse 37, chapter 10. He's coming to you. This has been the promise of God to you. He will come to you, verse 39, so don't shrink back. Hold on. And maybe it's from last week, too, in repentance of sins. You know, let let me, for time's sake, yeah, let's, let's look at this. It could be, too, that we really need to take, do that work that we did last week and stay with that. If you weren't here, go back to that sermon that so often you and I can cling to that kind of vibrancy and confidence and peace with God through right obedience. I like what Eugene Peterson says in his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction. He says, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. I want to go to church and just feel the glory of his presence. I like what he says. There's a great market for religious experience. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier Christians called 
holiness. If we're under discipline, as chapter 12 says, we're, nobody's ecstatic going through that. But verse 10 and elsewhere says, when we do that, we get to share in his holiness. That it'll produce the fruit of of righteousness in our lives. And one of the ways you and I can hold on to Christ and not slip back is to live a life that's pleasing to him, a life of obedience before him. But this last word, it's, it's just what he wants for you. And maybe we have doubt, or maybe we think we've blown it too many times for the sweetness of his presence to return, that kind of confidence and peace. But when Jesus has his last few minutes with his disciples. You go to John 15, and then he's going to pray basically the same thing in his high priestly prayer in John 17. When he's talking with them, and he's facing Gethsemane. He's facing arrest. He's facing all that goes with this crucifixion. He's facing taunting and, and friendships that, that will turn on him. I love what he says to them in 1511. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. That your joy, as we heard this morning, may be full. And he prays the same thing in John 17, 13. Even under persecution as they were, even with the light of the cross just upon him, joy is the call. Hold on is the call. In his book, Dick Eastman, the one thing I want to borrow from that is a story uh, told from uh, the 1700s of a, a couple of young missionaries. I'll, I'll speak to one of them. Uh, but he died when he was 29 to, uh, to tuberculosis. Never gave up the ministry he had uh, there uh, in the frontier to, to native Delaware Indians and just had all kinds of struggles in ministry, but all kinds of, all kinds of pain related, not just not just physical, but a whole lot of physical pain. And here's, here's what uh, uh, Dick Eastman says uh, from David Bernard's uh, diary. He said he mentions pain 78 times. So it doesn't, not everything's all uh, sweetness and light. 78 times he talks about the pain that he's wrestling with. 30 different times he uses the word suffering or, or to suffer. He's going through it physically as well as emotionally and relationally. So he's trying to do this work and get the word of God to get Jesus to people who need to hear of Jesus. But then you keep reading. And the word delight or pleased comes up 227 times in his writing. And then you look for this word joy to a man who had real struggle and real hurt and knows he's going to die in his 20s. And it's 350 times that he speaks about the joy of the Lord in his life. And this is his last words. I declare now that I am dying. I declare now that I am dying and I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. That's joy. That's assurance of being in the will of God, meeting with God, and knowing that God will gift that to us. I like how author Sam Storms, and I love that his last name is Storms. Author Sam Storms says, joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God. We're blessed with so many things, but as our choir sang to us this morning, nothing can match. Nothing can match 
uh, the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. How is it you and I need to hear and respond to this word? Are we placing ourselves in pe- with people and, 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 and in places and in routines where we can receive from the Lord? Do you even believe in he wants to do that? Is there any disobedience or a, a place of repentance so, so you, can, you can receive from him? Or do you need to hear this word? from this author who's spoken of the great high priest who sympathizes with us, loved us so much he took on our frail flesh to be our high priest. Do you hear this word again today? Hold on. Don't shrink back. Let's pray about that. Let's pray. Almighty God, we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ this morning. And we are in awe of his supremacy. He is above angels and prophets and Moses and Aaron over all things. If there's any place in our life where we have missed that priority or focus, we pray your Holy Spirit would help us to repent and to, and to see those areas. If there's any places where we've been in disobedience to the one who is the spotless Christ, the righteous Christ, again, Holy Spirit, come. Call us to repentance. Call us to faithfulness. But we also pray this day that you'd restore unto us the joy of our salvation, that we would know that our high priest counted it joy, that he might bring us, the children of God, to glory. Father, we pray for endurance. We pray that we would not grow weary. Uh, For any of us who struggle, help us this day. Come to us, meet with us, so we would not lose heart. And it is in your son's name that we pray this prayer. Amen.